0: Welcome, you're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast.
1: We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing.
2: We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to
3: marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips.
4: Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. As usual, the gang's all here with our favorite wines or whatever we found at the store today. It's a new year, new year, new us, but uh, some of the same old habits still still stay strong. So. Today we're gonna be talking about virtual events because as you know, COVID has definitely thrown a wrench into things and we really need to know as marketers how to pivot your in-person events into virtual events. And virtual events aren't quite the same as in-person events to say it simply. And as we all know, events are very stressful, straight up. Like if you are an event planner or you've ever had to plan an event, you know, whether small or large, you know that they're stressful. So we get it, we're no strangers to having to pivot virtually. So hosting virtual events to replace canceled in-person events can come with a lot of chaos and a lot of challenges, but virtual events do also come with an upside and they can lead to some really cool and innovative things and they can force you to try things that you haven't before. So organizing an event virtually means that everything has to be rethought and re-engineered. So don't fall victim to trying to recreate the exact same event as you would in person. So today we're going to dive in and talk about how you can get started pivoting your event. But of course, as usual, we're going to share our sips of the day. Today I am drinking a Chateau Chantal Naughty Red. Usually it is the nice red, but this is the holiday version that's left over from December. It's a very drinkable, good dinner red, and it's definitely from one of the local Michigan wineries. So it's it's a favorite.
0: Feeling naughty today
4: feeling naughty today I already drank the nice red the naughty was left
3: Mm.
1: Charlotte I'm also drinking Chateau Chantel today but I've got the cran apple I don't know if you guys have tried this but it is a crisp and sweet wine and they say you should pair it with turkey ham and spicy dishes which I have none of I need some snacks for this it's very it's very sweet but it's also kind of like juice. So I feel like it's going to hit me hard by the end of this episode.
0: Have you already drank a glass while we've been pre-recording? Oh, been,
1: yes. Well, actually, I'll drink a little and then I'll just, like, refill so, like, the glass looks like it hasn't gone down, but it really <laughs> That's has. The best. It's probably not I good. I like that method. I also have my special, like, bottle topper. We got this for Christmas. Like, we never had enough bottle stopper things, so... And this one says liquid therapy, which I feel like Thursdays... This is the Thursday we're recording. Not that it matters, but... Tgif, and I needed some liquid therapy to get through this week.
2: Well, I also have a local Michigan wine. You may have seen a sneak peek on social media when we were recording this episode. I have the Bonobo Bordeaux. I never knew what went into a Bordeaux. It's something new for me.
0: I actually am not drinking any wine anymore, at least until June, because my husband and I are expecting our first child. So I'm joining the Katie realm and we'll be having a baby in 2021. Uh, So we will have a baby boy and Katie has a baby girl. So we're kind of adding that into the wine and whiteboards family. It's been fun.
4: All the little babies. And Paige, let's be honest, like you and Chad aren't expecting, like you are growing this baby. I know. You are doing the work here. You're the one that can't drink.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. He's been drinking plenty of wine and what's he's been really into his whiskeys and bourbons. And I'm just like... Sitting over here with my glass of tea, enjoying life. Does he does he say he's drinking for two? <laughs> he probably is, to be <laughs> honest. I'm having him drink it in one of those like glasses that are not you can't see through them. So I don't know what he's drinking. I know what he's drinking, but like it helps my sanity. So I'm not like, oh, I can't drink this wine anymore. But I've been trying some alcohol-free wines and Some are better than others. I like the sparkling wines. Those were really helpful around the holidays because we were still trying to hide it with family for a little bit until we announced. But yeah, now I don't have to hide it anymore on the podcast. So everyone can know. Yay, we're so excited for you guys.
2: Yes, aren't charcuterie boards not as fun?
0: Prosciutto. I can't have prosciutto. (laughs) I'm so sad. So I've been very sad with those things.
2: They're not as much fun when you're expecting, since you can't have the meats and the soft cheeses and the wines. I guess you can have, like, the nuts and the jam, but that's not my favorite part. (laughs) I
1: I feel like a lot of people are into different charcuterie boards, but, like, the hot chocolate ones, or, like, which, I guess, technically, they're not charcuterie boards, but I think it's really the presentation, or, like, even with veggies and fruit, I don't know. I saw really
4: cute, like, pancake ones, and... Oh. oh, I don't think I've seen these. That sounds pretty incredible.
0: Should we start a charcuterie board company?
4: Yes, <laughs> guys,
1: literally there was one that was just started in Saginaw. And then there's another one maybe up north in Traverse City. So now I'm like, can we have a side business of charcuterie boards?
4: Because I'm kind of passionate about them. I feel like Sarah would be them. like the ultimate charcuterie board connoisseur. And the rest of us would like contribute in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure what that looks like, but. <laughs> the taste testers? Oh, there we go. Perfect. (laughs) They've been
1: calling like, they have like little to-go boxes, kind of like bento boxes, but they've been calling them millennial lunch
4: boxes. Ah, that's catchy. (laughs) Fancy. We should run some like online classes, like virtual online classes on like how to put together all these different types of charcuterie boards, Hmm. like little workshops. I mean, that way you don't have to buy the goods and that way, or like ship them hmm. and like ship cheese and meat. And like, that doesn't sound like a really fun thing to do.
3: Have, have, have you guys seen, seen the meme that's like how it began and where we're at and it's the Lunchables? And it's the Lunchables and then it's a charcuterie board, like an actual one nowadays. Like that's how we got to this place.
0: Yes, because every I had a Lunchable like every day growing up. The pizza ones were the best and I don't even know why because they're cold pizza. Like there was nothing to it, but I enjoyed it so much that, yeah, weirdos. Kelly, what are you drinking?
3: um I am also not drinking but it's not because I'm with child it is that I am deciding to do dry January I think I had a little bit too much fun in December where I had my wine advent calendar so I figured I should maybe do a little reset let's step it back so I don't technically have a problem you know with things but here we are seven days in and I'm already like oh this was a terrible idea
2: I'd like to poll our audience. So if you're a listener, tell us what you think. Is dry January for quitters? Or do you support taking a little break for your health? I want to know where the majority lies.
0: We've been not the best supported <laughs> group for Kelly. We're like, I can't drink because I'm pregnant. Who chooses not to drink? But it is, it is a smart decision because I remember when I could at the holidays, I went ham and I drank every single day your stomach is terrible at the end of the month. Like you're eating all the Christmas cookies. Like you just need a break into 2021. So yeah, I, I get think, it. I think had
3: I not had the wine advent calendar, which made me literally drink every day. Yeah. I wouldn't give a shit. I would just keep drinking like whatever. So,
1: so you would not recommend a wine advent calendar?
3: No. Cause I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Charlotte, didn't you, didn't you do a dry, I don't think it was January. Was it January? Maybe. Didn't you yeah, do was, was it a long period? I did, I did a year. Okay, oh, That's what yeah. was like. A month, not like a month doesn't sound like a long time, but I was like, why do I feel
4: like yours was a long time? It was long, but <laughs> I did drink on two occasions, like two special occasions. So I drank at my, one of my best friend's bachelorette parties because it was that year and we did a wine, we did wine tours up North. I wasn't going to not drink like so so I ended up drinking that, and then I also drank. Oh, at Putin Bay, mm.
2: mm-hmm. yeah. When we took
4: our little team trip, like so.
2: That would not be fun sober.
4: No, no. It, it, uh, well, I was trying to, and when we were in the pool at, on one occasion, and like the gray goose and the cranberry juices kept coming out, I was like, "I'm not doing this." I was like, "I'm just gonna enjoy myself." So I did. <laughs> I was gonna say. The twerking contest, sober wouldn't have been. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think at one I was just like, I can't do this sober. So, so I caved on two occasions. That was 2018.
2: In hindsight, would you recommend or would you not recommend? I would not recommend
4: because I feel like you just need to live and I feel like you just need to do what you want. And if you want to have a drink, like just have a drink. Like, I don't know.
0: That's the right answer. Did
4: you learn anything though? Like did a year of almost not drinking
1: teach you any lessons or is it just like,
3: meh? Uh, It taught her that if you want to drink, just drink.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. mm -hmm, Let me tell you.
0: I'm Um, sure it saved you calories and money and that's the only benefits I can see. Yeah,
4: But I wouldn't even say it was that much because I really don't drink that much. Like Mm. I probably drink more like in the past year than I have like, historically in previous years but a lot of it's like a health thing I used to be extremely health conscious and now I'm kind of like I mean as long as I just take care of myself and like whatever like having a drink isn't gonna hurt me I don't know I think it helped teach me a little bit more of like healthy balance and Um, the fact that people don't like it when you don't drink like people (laughs) pressure the shit out of you yeah see we're doing that to Kelly right now lesson I learned and like here I am like Kelly quitter like
2: case in point have you had more drinks in this past year because of this podcast? Because for our listeners, that's not what we're trying to get you to do. This is just something that we do for fun. We are not trying to force you to have one. <laughs> I would say probably, but
4: like, but because I want to. It's not
0: like because... the pandemic, though, too. Pandemic. Like, what else are you doing? And
4: the pandemic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's been the hardest because I've been home every night and I can't have any wine. And so I'm just like, oh, baby, you better be worth it. Like just, you know.
2: Baby just, will be worth it, I promise. You
0: better yeah. be worth
2: it, baby. <laughs> so
4: with that, we should probably dive in and start talking about something other than wine and actually talk about something marketing marketing related. So to start off, where do you even get started with a virtual event? We had to learn this pretty quickly when we had to pivot our big annual event to be a virtual event. And unfortunately, we only had a couple months to do it. So it was a little bit stressful, but I think the first thing that we would advise is, number one, don't treat virtual events like in-person events. Like don't treat them the same way because they're not, and they're very, very different.
0: I mean, there's different types of engagement that people are doing on virtual versus in-person. It's just like, you need a lot of different technology to make this kind of work. There's those aspects of in person that are just missing virtually. And so you're trying to make up for it in different ways.
1: I should have looked up the exact stat, but one of our partners for this virtual event told us like the minutes that you have in person don't translate virtually. You can't just take that same amount of time and translate it to a virtual event because people can't sit still for that long. They, you just can't absorb information and watching something on the screen, you have so many more distractions at home. Like think about everyone who's working at home. You have kids, you have dogs, you have partners, spouses, nannies, whatever's going on in your life. And that's always gonna take precedent over whatever's happening on a screen because it's not a real person that you can see and feel I guess you shouldn't be feeling them, but whatever.
4: Weird. <laughs> but it's true that you need to think about all those different elements. Sorry, Sarah, I'm laughing. Right. Right? <laughs> talking about feeling. But you really need to take kind of take inventory of all the different elements of your event, whether it's sponsorships, engagement, and all of those things. And then say, okay, what did this look like in person? What is our goal? And what does that now look like for virtual? Because it's not gonna be the same, but your goals might be the same as they were before, or your goals might actually be different. So I think that's a big piece there that you need to make sure you're factoring in because it could change the entire direction of what you do.
1: You should always be thinking about what you want your attendees to get out of it. Is it like networking and connection? Is it learning? Is it earning credits? It could be all three of those things or four, but you need to make sure you're very clear and what you want people to get out of it. And that'll help you dictate the format and the style and the type of content that you provide.
0: Yeah, because networking virtually is going to be a lot different than networking in person. So you're not going to have those happy hours that people can just like chat. It's like you're going to have to have breakout rooms and different chat sessions virtually. So there's just that different dynamic that you have to outline with your goals
1: i honestly think the networking piece is the hardest to translate virtually like i don't know if you guys sat through any virtual conferences yet but i sat through a lot and they were mostly pre-recorded and that didn't feel very engaging to me it lacked a lot of energy it was just like i might as well go watch this on my own time and then the chat would be going separately but somehow it was never very relevant or tied to the topics on hand. And for me, it was just really hard to meld the two together. And the only place you could ask questions in real time was in the chat. So at least the conference we did, for better or worse, we did it live and added some energy. It also added some tech difficulties, but people could actually respond and ask questions in real time, which to me ended up being one of the more important things, like one of our goals. And so that's kind of how it helped dictate some of the format that we ended up going with.
4: It also let them engage, like the attendees engage with each other, which is usually one of the biggest things that people want to get out of a conference is being able to interact with their peers or people who have similar challenges as them or are in similar roles. And I think that live aspect really helped with that. But I actually just had a weird thought, as you were saying some of that, Sarah, you know what has always worked really well virtually? TED Talks. TED Talks. They have always been recorded and they always perform well. Like they have a, like their whole YouTube channel, their whole website. I mean, I know they're very good speakers, but those are live events that are recorded and I feel like people share those videos all the time. I'm curious as to why that's successful and why other things aren't.
0: I think it's cuz it's inspirational versus educational. And like, uh, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Cause like inspirational can apply to a lot of different people in different ways, but the educational side is what we kind of tailor ours to. And it's like, okay, I have all these steps that I'm listening to the presenter about, but I have a question about this one, then they can have it in the chat and have it in real time.
4: That's an that excellent make assumption, Paige. <laughs> like, now that you yeah, say that, I'm point. like, that makes a lot of
0: sense. Okay.
1: But TED Talks are also shorter. I think pre-recorded videos can work for shorter presentations. Aren't TED Talks somewhere in the 8 to 20 minute mark, which I don't know. You definitely can't listen to someone for eight hours straight. So like that 10 to 20 minute mark is probably sweet for a recorded video. I don't think you have much longer attention span. And to Paige's point, I mean, I think we try to be inspirational sometimes, but
4: it's hard. (laughs) It is really hard. But to your point, Sarah, like nobody wants to sit and listen to somebody for eight hours straight. So like that's definitely something I know we took in consideration when we were putting together our event was the fact that, I mean, we had to come up with a different format with different types of sessions that had different ways of interacting so that people aren't just going to Zoom room to Zoom room like with different speakers and just listening all day.
0: I will say, Sarah brought up the idea of a pre-recorded video as like a, de- a negative in some aspects, but we did actually do it in a few occasions when it made sense because we brought in some speakers that it they had shorter presentations. It kind of made more sense for what they were doing instead of coming in, waiting for them to get set up. It it was a, a quicker response time, and we were able to kind of create those in Vimeo, and edit them and add different like callouts and videos integrated. So. I think that went well, it could have gone better, obviously, but you know, like people just don't get you videos ahead of time in a timely manner. You ask for it a month ahead of time and they get it to you like two days before the deadline. So or after the deadline, that's just how it works. So those can work in shorter sessions, but definitely not your entire conference, because that can get a little daunting. And like we said, there's not that chat feature and that engagement
2: our
1: next point was to decide if your conference sessions should be pre-recorded live or like a hybrid mix and we thought we were being so cool in creating these pre-recorded short videos they were honestly only like two to three minutes and they were for our sponsors to do like a pre-recorded promo of like a product or why they were sponsoring the conference and honestly those ended up being some of our biggest tech headaches so there's just a lot to take into consideration. I don't know if we would do that again or not, because if honestly, if those speakers had just spoken live, I think we wouldn't have had the problems we did. The videos worked. It's just something about either the way we embedded them into the PowerPoint or the internet that day or computers. Actually, I think it was like a trifecta of things and almost every single one of them failed. And it was so sad because we had tested them before, we had checked the tech. So I don't know what to say about those, except I wouldn't <laughs> have done those pre-recorded anymore, which is just interesting. Cause we were trying to have everything go off without like a hitch and kind of curve some of those tech difficulties. And then the end, it ended up backfiring on us.
0: I actually didn't see the tech difficulties. I was supposed to help you guys put on the conference, but I was secretly, I don't know how secretly, having some morning sickness, some pretty severe stuff. So I didn't end up coming into the office and seeing the presentation that we were working on. So when you guys told us afterwards that there was tech things, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like they were such a good idea, but sometimes things like that happen. So that is the downside of going virtual. There are some tech things that you might wanna at least have backup plans for. We can dive into that later, but I just wanted to mention it.
1: I think one thing I learned... And granted, it goes with the tech part, but we probably should have had, like, backups. I think we, like, put all of our eggs in the in the basket that it was going to per- play perfectly from PowerPoint. And instead, some of us on the other end should have had, had them downloaded to our computer and playing just directly through there. I think it looks really seamless in PowerPoint, but not if it doesn't play correctly. <laughs> so I'd say it's 2020
4: in that case. No, that's a good point, Sarah, that there's definitely room when you're in a virtual conference environment and an in-person one, but there's definitely more opportunities for you to have some backup plans in line just in case your tech does kind of go kaput and working through all that and making sure you have backups for everything is probably a really smart idea.
1: So we kind of touched on this, but the other thing to think about is your timing, When it's virtual, you don't really have to cram everything into one day. Not everyone's flying into a place. They don't have to book hotel rooms. It kind of allows you to shake up the typical like one day conference and space it out over several days. So for our event, we did two half days in the afternoon and there definitely were some survey comments that people said this was the first year and maybe the only time they'll be able to attend because we did it virtually. They were on like the West Coast. Typically we have this on the East Coast. So normally like the time zone differences and then having to deal with flights and hotels was just too much for them to get approved in their budget. So that did make me think about this in like a different perspective and did allow us to, I think, open up our audience a little bit more.
0: I was just going to ask you why you chose to do it in the afternoons, but now you could have the people in the Pacific time zones join. That makes a lot more sense.
1: Yeah, we did it at like 1 PM. So it was still like 10 AM for them, but at least that's not an ungodly hour. Normally when we do our event in person, it starts at like 7 30 AM, which I mean, we don't, we haven't offered the ability for people to call into it or video in or anything, but that would be horrible. And it also was after typically after lunch, I guess not obviously for the West coast people, but we did give people breaks and stuff throughout, so they could at least get a snack.
4: Well, and I think that's really important because when you think about like your timing and like the type of breaks people need, like put yourself in the attendees shoes. Like, do you sit in front of a computer screen for eight hours a day without enough breaks or getting up for a snack or getting a glass of water or a cup of coffee or bathroom breaks or letting your dog out? Like, what are the things that you do throughout your day that you need to kind of build in opportunities for people to do? because they're human and they have lives and they might have kids at home or they might have all these other things and making sure that you offer up time for them to step away from the computer is really important.
2: Another option too, I attended a conference this fall. It was a free conference and we do host a conference that comes with an attendance fee. They just had sessions that you could sign up for and then could just pick the ones that you wanted to. I think it was a two day conference and they maybe had like 20 sessions and I was only really interested in half of them. So it did make it nice that I could sign up just for what I was interested in. Of course, that's a free option. So they had like all of the like joining links and everything's just on their website. So depending on what kind of event you have, that could work for you too. And I definitely appreciated that kind of flexibility.
1: All right, so moving us along, I think the next part is to find the right event technology. Without the right event technology, it's really hard to host an event virtually. Anyways, one of the important parts, and I feel like I don't know that this was the thing that tripped us up, but you have to set a technology budget I sat through so many demos of virtual event software. Honestly, I spent months on this, which probably did slow us down because until we had picked the right event technology, it was hard to know some of the extra, like other things we needed to do. The demos range from like $1,000 to like $15,000 for one event. So, depending on what your overall event budget is, you might not have that technology uh, or that budget, sorry, to be able to purchase that technology. And some of it looked really cool. And then you got to the end and you're like, well, we definitely can't afford this. So I mean, that is one of the screening
0: factors. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is when you do this, these demos and you're like, oh yeah, you're selling me. And then they drop the big pricing bomb on you in the end. I'm like, why did I even waste my time? Why did I waste my time? Yeah. Like I almost want to respond to some of these like prospects and be like, if it's under 2000, let's talk. If it's over that, I can't afford it. You know, like try -hmm. and give them a range. And they always try and sell you.
1: I've been starting to email people back like that. I used to just ignore it, but instead I'll be like, can you give me a range on this? Because I was like, I can't even take it to my supervisor or team leader unless I know that this could fit in the budget and I don't want to waste your time or mine and honestly they just want to get the sale in the demo so a lot of them will I don't they'll at least email you
4: back and give you some kind of range which allows you to nix it or move forward well and this is where um having your criteria or like how you want your event to be structured and how you want it to go aligned with your goals is really important because if you can provide as much context up front to these technology providers about what you're looking to do and what you're looking to accomplish and how you're looking to structure the event, it's easier for them to be like, oh, we do do that or we don't do that. And I feel like that can save you some time right up front as well because you're like, I need it to do X, Y, and Z. And then when you start evaluating, if you find out that the X on your list is too expensive and every provider that does it is too much. Well, now, you know, you need to change that format or do something different, but you could still get all of your other features and that will help you in your technology evaluation and help you avoid sitting through a bunch of useless demos.
0: What platform did you guys use to record? Was it Zoom or Microsoft Teams?
1: We used Zoom. Okay. We wanted to be able to have breakout rooms. And as of right now, Zoom is actually one of the only platforms I know of that has breakout rooms. I honestly did see breakout rooms on Teams the, the other day, but I haven't seen it since. So like, I don't know if they rolled out some little feature and then rolled it back or what it is, but we use Zoom. And I guess the important part is before you dive into new technology is to make sure you evaluate what technology you already have because you might have something that meets those needs like we already had zoom so luckily we didn't have to do that what we were looking for well i like to call it the golden goose or something but we were looking for something that was like this overall hub that could embed zoom so we could have everyone all in one place that would have the resources the chat the video like everything we needed. I don't feel like we found that, or if we did, maybe it was out of our budget. So we kind of piecemealed some things together and used Zoom for our actual, like the actual meat of the conference, as far as like the videos, the recordings, the chat. And then we used SwapCard, which was like an app that allowed us to have the resources and it allowed attendees to connect and chat with each other. And then we supplemented with some like Poll Everywhere because we use that for some of our polling, since it allowed you to have like word clouds and display some of the information in different ways that the chat and poll feature of Zoom didn't allow you to.
2: Right. And Sarah, I think that's what we mean. If you've listened to our episode where we talk about like what makes up our team, where we say we're scrappy. So we do not work for a huge company. We do not have a huge marketing budget. We take what we have and figure out how to make it work together like we do not have a google or amazon or i don't know other big companies like zappos type budget to work with like we take what we have and figure out how to mash it together and fit into our budget that's what we're good at and i know a lot of our listeners probably have a similar budget to us or smaller and that's why we're here and we're hoping we can help you guys figure out how to make big things work on a small budget
4: I feel like it's funny because when we were sitting, we actually all sat on a demo today of a video platform that seems cool. And video is something, as you know from our drunken marketing episode, is something that we historically have really struggled with. We're like, so how I can we?
2: the words were our kryptonite? <laughs>
4: yes, exactly. So it's like we're like, well, let's see if there's a solution out there. This guy reached out because I attended that conference that Katie was talking about earlier, and uh, I attended a video session and we just can't see like video is just hard i don't know it's just hard and he had said well you know it's like if you pay an agency two hundred thousand dollars to do x y and z and we were like (laughs) Like, yeah that doesn't happen in our marketing budget (laughs) like that's not a thing so we definitely get it and some of these providers are going to be way outside of what you're looking for and if that's the case it's okay to get scrappy and kind of piecemeal some things together and make it work for you but I think the bit most important piece is if you are piecing things together, making sure that the user experience doesn't feel piecemealed together, making sure that experience still feels seamless where on the back end, you might know everything's kind of like, you know, sewn together in a weird way, but as long as that's not super visible to your audience.
1: The other thing I'll say is you know who gets to make the final decision on technology. I feel like this was like, I don't know if it's, sore spot but it felt like it was a very difficult decision for us to make this year and that's because we work with an event partner and while we foot the budget it felt like they had more say in what we were doing and obviously we worked very well and very collaboratively with them but this like one little sticking point kind of kept us from moving forward for a really long time i don't think our event was in october and i don't think we decided what we were using until maybe i don't know i would like to say june but i think that's wrong like july august i want to say it was july which was really stressful because i don't know we had like three months to get our. that's not a lot of time (laughs) no it was it was not it was not what i would have picked in an ideal timeline scenario
0: would a good rule of thumb be like three people or less as the decision makers so you have like an odd number to rule someone out or I don't know well I think it depends whoever's paying the like
1: who's in my mind whoever is paying should get to make the final decision I don't know if that's like right or wrong and obviously ultimately you should have gone through and identified what you need and things like that like I don't mean to jump ahead it's not like you should just bulldoze and pick what you want
2: so I think that's one of the challenges that comes with virtual event. Like COVID has thrown a wrench in everyone's plans and we haven't done it before. And I don't know if we knew exactly what we were looking for, for our virtual event to look like at the time where we had to choose a technology. Like Sarah and Charlotte, I remember you guys talking about this back in March and like that was at the point where we thought we were only going to be locked down for like two weeks or something and how crazy was that that it's like 10 months later (laughs) but now that there's been some more experience and you've likely attended an event and we've hosted an event now we know what we're looking for so I mean we probably just didn't know and that's why it took a long time to identify what we wanted it to look like
4: well and that's another thing Katie is like If you are in charge of planning a virtual event, go find some virtual events to attend and see what you like and see what you don't like, because there's going to be elements of an event where you're like, oh, okay, that was cool. I learned something. I liked that format. The speaker was really good, and here's why that speaker was good on virtual, or here's how they did their sponsorships, and that resonated with me, and it looked like it added value, And you're also going to see things where you're like, oh gosh, like I don't want us to do that. Like I do not want that. And it will just give you a better feel for what you're looking to accomplish.
3: You can also pretty easily figure out what event platform they're using. So we're going from usually doing in person. So now we're going to virtual. So that's a change in itself. Then if you have a partner that's used to using one technology company, but you want to find something that's going to work better, it's obviously going to be a change there as well. So You're just gonna have to take time to learn a company that maybe works better for the whole experience and not just because that's what we're
2: used to using.
1: I will also say new obviously doesn't always equal better. I remember listening to Charlotte. We, some of the content for our conference, we got a couple of recorded videos on some procedures people had done, and one of them was using Hopin, and these women had recorded a video about everything they had to do to learn how to use Hopin, and it did not seem super intuitive. I'm sure it's come a long way, and it seems like it has really cool features, but they spent so much time and hours and weeks like training themselves on it, and then they had to go train their attendees on it, and honestly, it just sounded like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, nope, we don't have that much manpower and time to dedicate to this. Like, we have to be working on the content and the agenda and all these other things. I don't have time to learn that much new technology. So that did also help us stay with Zoom and things that we already knew how to use. How did you guys
0: decide what parts of technology you liked or didn't? Like, you you wrote them down. Did you create a spreadsheet? Like, what did you guys do to record that?
1: Yeah, exactly that. We created a spreadsheet and we identified like everything we needed. So we needed like roundtables. We needed, I don't really know. What did we need, Charlotte? We needed chat. We needed to be able to record. We had like all this different criteria. And then as we went out and had demos and saw what certain te- certain technology could do, we checked off if it met those requirements or not. So, And
4: then at the end, we kind of evaluated that and saw what would work best. And I think breaking that into, and I don't know if we did this, Sarah, but like, I think in the future, this is what I, like an approach that we would take, or I, what I would recommend people do is definitely break it out into like a need to have versus a nice to have, because you might find a platform that, you know, hits a lot of the marks in terms of your need to have, but some of your wants might not be met. And that's that maybe that's okay, but maybe it's not. And maybe some of your want to haves turn into need to haves but like making sure that you have some gauge in order to say like we cannot move forward unless we have these items. That's really true I think one of the platforms
1: I really wanted they were still in the process of developing their essentially like breakout rooms right and and unfortunately breakout rooms were a need to have not a nice to have or a want to have it was a need to have in order for us to accomplish the networking and the types of format of content we wanted. So that kind of got overruled. They might have it now, but at that time, everyone was still like pivoting their own technology and developing it on the spot. So it was too hard to make a decision at that moment on something that wasn't fully in existence. And the way that I found out it wasn't like that is because they had this like sandbox environment where I could go in and kind of play around with the software and test it out and see how it worked. And that allowed me to ask a lot better questions because I had an idea of like, if I don't know how to do this, I can ask someone before we actually go through and purchase this software.
4: That's a really good thing, Sarah, that I'll add on is if you have an opportunity to get into a sandbox environment or like a free trial or something like that to play around in it and see what it looks like and how it actually works, definitely take advantage of that because you'll soon find out whether something works the way you want it to or the way you envisioned or not.
2: Building off of what Sarah said regarding the need to have the Zoom breakout rooms or not necessarily Zoom, but the breakout rooms those were important to us because people don't come to our event just to listen to the presentations but people like our event because we bring them together with other members of their community that are in the same role so if we weren't able to have those breakout rooms we wouldn't be providing the value that our event typically provides in the reason why people come so if one of the biggest values of your event is the networking and having people talk amongst themselves and you aren't able to provide that in the virtual event, then that big value add is missing. So whatever the value add is at your event, make sure that you do your best to retain that while planning your virtual event. And I know it can be super hard, but try your best to make that happen because at the end of the day, next year when you're planning your event or whenever your next event comes up you want the people to remember the event has consistently added the value and i do want to attend again so that's part of you retaining your members and then building your membership for the following year
4: you know where it was really hard to add value sponsorships sponsorships in a virtual world are extremely difficult extremely difficult especially if you have sponsors Now, I will say some sponsors and some companies are okay with like banners with their logos. Personally, we don't buy sponsorships or participate in sponsorships if they just simply offer areas to plaster our logo around. We want opportunities to engage and we want opportunities to have conversation and that sort of thing. And that's really difficult to do in virtual. So when you're looking at your event technology, if you can find something that offers some unique ways to engage or offer additional value to sponsors, not only your attendees, that's going to be a win.
1: I think we're planning to do an episode in the future on this too, Charlotte, on how to get revenue out of virtual event sponsors, because we did find it to be so difficult. And I think there are ways for you to be more creative than just a logo on a banner.
4: Absolutely. I think that'd be a really good episode. So stay tuned, everybody. It'll come out eventually. And then finishing out
1: technology, I think it's important to schedule time to get yourself familiar with new technology. And even if you're using technology you've never used before, if you are piecemealing things like we did, Zoom plus swap card plus pull everywhere, plus, I don't know, I feel like there were a few other things. Just put time on your calendar in advance to walk through all these things. I think we didn't do it until like the week or two before, and I felt like that was a little stressful and a little rushed at the end there. And even then some of our stuff didn't pan out the way we had like pull everywhere. For some reason, the polls weren't pulling into the slides and loading. I don't know. We had kind of tested it, kind of not tested it. It actually failed on some of our tech walkthroughs, So I probably should have known that it wasn't going to go smoothly, but (laughs) We were at the 11th hour, and sometimes there's only so many things you can do. Which brings me to my next point, which is hire a tech manager. Please just do this. If you have any any money in your budget, find some techie group guru that can do all this stuff on the back end. This is coming from the person who was kind of one of the tech managers, and I just, it was too much. I, I'm not fully capable of that. And it'll help make all of your actual like day of activities much easier. Kind of like if you had an event planner for the day or a wedding planner. There
0: we go. A wedding planner. I like your wedding planner. I know. Yeah. (laughs)
4: That would have (laughs) literally been a game changer the day of absolute game changer. We had some IT support, but it definitely wasn't a dedicated resource that was familiar with our schedule and like the technology we were using. And they were just kind of there as like, if something happened and we needed somebody to help figure something out, whereas I think it would have been really useful to have somebody who was well rehearsed in our content, in our flow of the event, in our format, it would have made a huge difference. So definitely don't skimp on that.
0: Honestly, that probably would have been where I came in to play, but I wasn't actually there that day.
4: It's okay.
1: We did the best. Going on to our next point, all you can do is prepare yourself for the day, right? Take it from us that you need to make sure you have the proper amount of staff. I would say we were understaffed. I mean, we had the normal amount of staff, but virtual environment, it's just, I think people fill different roles. So we definitely have a lean event team but if you can make the following roles happen, I would do it. You need a strong virtual host or MC, which we actually do have this. Our partners in this event are very good at hosting and MCing and they roll with the punches. I mean, at one point, Charlotte's computer melted down twice while she was in the middle of presenting and they saved the day. Like literally they kept the conversation going because she was like a black screen of death and went away and like... It was just kind of really awkward if people are just sitting on the, the other end watching this happen and not knowing what's happening, but they just jumped in, they took attendee questions. They were like, she'll be back in a minute, don't worry. Meanwhile, Charlotte and I are running back and forth in the office like freaking out. I was like, I did, but anyways, it was a story for another day.
4: No, but the fact that they were able to jump in and literally, like, ask questions and keep the chat going and, like, talk a little bit on the topic. Unfortunately, it wasn't their session, so they didn't have, like, they weren't well rehearsed in a lot of the content. But they were still able to, like, improv very quickly and continue on the topic kind of in a different way and keep the conversation going with the attendees. So, it like, that, if you didn't have somebody in that role who could do that we would have been like, we would have just been stuck and it would have been an absolutely horrific attendee experience. So definitely key to have somebody who can keep the conversation going in whatever circumstance.
1: I think the key traits you want for a host or an MC is that they have lots of energy and that they can think
0: on their feet. So
1: as long as they can do those two things, they can keep things moving.
0: I think it's funny of like, I'm picturing myself if I was the person who had to take over and being like, so we're gonna talk about, you know, like it's just, they're so, they're so easy going that they can just pick up where someone left off and like make it seem seamless. And mine would definitely be like the awkward, I don't know what's going on. So it's a skill. So definitely find someone with that skill.
2: So how's the weather going over there, guys? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about the weather for 20 minutes while Charlotte comes back. Sounds pretty much like what we would do. And then let's
4: constantly say like, she's about to come back. Don't worry. And like,
0: like is Charlotte here yet? Oh, no. Yeah, you lose a lot of attendees. Yeah.
1: Yes. If I had to fill that rule, we would have lost people like for sure. Because I was just looking at our list, which is like have a virtual host or MC, have a technology point person, which I would say have a technology point person or two or three for as many tech people as you can get, basically, is my
4: experience. Well, I would also say it depends on the size of your event. Like if like, if you're using multiple different pieces of technology, and you have hundreds of 1000s of attendees or something like obviously your support's gonna look very different than if you're running like a 200 person event, and you have like two pieces of technology. So definitely scale your tech team to your the size of your conference. And it's also important to have a chat
1: moderator for questions. Actually, probably more than one because there's, I I don't know, for me, the chat moved really quickly. So I would be still answering one person's question and then something else would be happening. And so I think obviously Charlotte and I filled this role and we had a few other people too, but, and then
4: uh, things get lost really quickly in a chat and people aren't going to put their question in there multiple times usually it'll just keep like going so being able to pull that out and make it because that's a big engagement aspect if people know that they put a question in there and you they know that somebody's going to read it and get it to the speaker and get it answered like that's a large that's an improvement on their experience so i definitely encourage that
1: and then also if you're going to have breakout rooms for people to network make sure each breakout room has a leader or facilitator This is important to help keep the conversation going. Otherwise, I feel like, I don't know, I've been in breakout rooms where things are just flat and people are duds and nothing is happening and it's kind of the worst experience ever. So you need someone that can help engage and move things along and ask the pointed questions. And then the last one would be to have some kind of administrator or someone who can provide customer support and service like when attendees are having login issues and answering any questions i feel like when i look back at this list i filled like three of the five and it was too many to have one person who had to fill multiple roles because it was just chaos like in the chat, people were asking me questions about getting people logged in and not knowing what to do and where to go and how to get a resource. And so then, like, Charlotte's computer's melting down. And so I was trying to get IT on the background. And then, I don't know what else, but it was a chaotic day. So as many people as you can have and assign them very specific roles. Don't try to have the ev- one person overlap multiple roles. It's not going to go well.
4: Well, and in that admin role, like... No matter how seamless or intuitive your technology selection is, you will always have people who don't know how to log in or don't know how to create the account or don't know how to do something or can't access something even though it's literally like a button, like the biggest button on the page you could possibly imagine or they didn't get an email or it went to their spam. You will always have people that are in that scenario. So that admin role is critical no matter how simple you think your process or event experience is.
0: So you're going to have me because I don't read things and I remember that day seeing a ton of emails of like, I can't log in, where's the login? Why don't I have this email? And it was just like, it's easy. You think it's like the, this what do we call it? Simple, stupid or stupid, simple. But then there's people like me who just don't click on the actual button that needs to be clicked on and then you're like bitching about it constantly. So.
2: You're making Sarah drink her sorrows. I just saw her take a <laughs> big gulp of wine when you're like, and then these people <laughs> just don't read. Guys, it's so
1: true. I mean, I read the attendee survey. One, there's still one that sticks out that I'm trying to still let go from this conference. I was in October that was like, we've all had to pivot since March. And for this being... A paid conference. It was a low budget technology thing, which I was like, "Kudos, man! It is. It was low budget technology. So I guess we got that right." But I don't know. I was like, I was frustrated by it, but I was like, just because the world's pivoted doesn't mean you've done a virtual conference before. You've had to go through those things. Like we had done one virtual workshop, which was different than a whole like two-day conference and all the things that lead up to it so I'm not trying to make excuses I'm just saying shit's gonna go wrong have good people there that have your back and can help fix it
0: I think these people also have to understand we don't have them charged a thousand dollars for attendance like we have a pretty low budget for actually paying to attend So when we have to figure out the technology that goes along with it, we're not going to have a ginormous budget because it has to accommodate that. So when you're not, you're paying like $100 to join the conference, think about the fact that the technology might match that and it might be low budget and that's just how it is.
4: I would also make the case in the opposite direction of that page where we took some risks. Like, we did not host a conference or a virtual conference where there was just pre-recorded sessions that people sat and watched. It wasn't just live people speaking. Like, we had a lot of different things going. When you take risks, there's going – and you try to insert different things and break up the day and do gamification and do polling and – have different speakers, have some live speaking, some pre-recorded, like you're going to have snafus and things that happen. And I think in this particular case, I would make the argument that a lot of people haven't gone out on a limb and taken a lot of risks when it comes to these conferences. I would say that they've bought technology, they've implemented the technology and they haven't really gone outside the box. And I think we were trying to do some things outside the box and that inherently comes with risk. So I would say I would pat us on the back, actually, and say good for us for trying like something different to be different and create a different kind of experience that was hopefully more engaging. Apparently, this one guy did not think so. And that's on him. But so that would be my two cents on that. But
2: Uh, well, I guess as we say, feedback is always appreciated. Whether or not you take it is up to you.
4: You get to filter feedback. Who says that? Is that Brene Brown? It might be, but you get to filter feedback. Yeah, I think so.
1: I've also been reading this book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Has anyone read that? She's the one that wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And I kind of liked it. I finished it in like two days on Audible. So it it was just kind of about how to live creativ- creatively. Creatively. <laughs> the wine is kicking in. <laughs>
2: That word you just made was very it wasn't creative Was it was creative. I'm going to live a creative life with my wine.
1: <laughs> I lost my point. I don't know. She said something that was just like how you can always like, don't let the fear of trying to be perfect typically keeps people from trying things. Right. And how they don't live their best life because of that and how it, how No matter how many times you reiterate something or do something, it will never be 100% perfect. Like, there could always be a better version of it, and someone will always have a critique about it. So, I don't
2: know. I feel like you're talking to me directly because that's been my professional development feedback for the past, like, five years.
0: Ooh, go read Big Magic, then. Well, I have good feedback because Baby has been kicking the last, like, 20 minutes, and apparently he likes listening to us. Is my That's my guess because I'm super distracted, just feeling the the little baby kicks right now.
2: This is good. Remember when I told you guys, when they're in the womb, they recognize voices. So baby is going to know all of our voices and he's going to like all of us.
0: Yep, all of his aunties.
2: So we were hoping to
4: talk to you today about getting your event, your virtual event started, the technology. We also want to talk to you about communication and sponsorships. However, we are looking at the clock and we realize it's been a little while. So we are going to save communication and sponsorships for another day. So just to round it out here, we're gonna jump into the key takeaways that we hope you're walking away from this episode with. Starting with number one, which is outline your virtual event goals. Without these, you don't know why or what you're planning. And it's going to be critical to helping you pick your technology to helping you develop your content and your agenda and also your attendee engagement strategy.
3: Number two, rethink your timing. You might need to spread your event over a few days to cover the same amount of material virtually. Think about yourself sitting around a computer for eight hours straight in one day. It's just not ideal for anybody. So you might want to break it up, maybe switch up the time so you can get more participants across the country.
0: (laughs) Create a budget and pick your technology platform is number three. Be sure to prioritize the features you want versus need. Take your time and know that there will not be a perfect solution. You may have to piecemeal a few things.
1: And number four, create the perfect virtual event team. Having the right amount of staff to pull off your event is key. When you're understaffed, it's not a fun event. Take it from me.
0: I lost focus at the end. Sorry guys. (laughs) It's okay. All right,
2: that's, should I do the outro? Oh
0: yeah, you can, sorry, I forgot.
2: All right, well, that is all we have for you today. We appreciate everyone listening. We love you guys and we'll be back with another episode on the rest of our virtual event recommendations, tips, tricks, and failures.
0: Cheers.
2: Cheers. Cheers.
3: Thanks for listening to the Wine & Whiteboards Podcast.
0: For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page, at Wine & Whiteboards Podcast.
1: And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed
4: humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review.
2: And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers!